It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Coming at you for a second straight week. How about that? I think it's the first time we've uh, we've done one for two weeks in a row. So that that's my gift to all of you people who are asking asking me to uh, to make this a weekly kind of thing. Kevin Kincaid here. Uh, Dave is not here because I'm recording at 10:30 at night. I didn't want him to, to have to drag his ass all the way down to uh, Fishtown. But I have a very special guest on uh, on the line today. We have our first guest. Well, actually, our second guest. We had a studio guest one time. But our first guest on the phone, Mr. Simon Allen, the Dalai Lama of soccer, all the way from uh, Pasadena, California. Simon, how are you, man? I'm loving life. Uh, thanks for having me, Kevin. It's uh, Obviously, we go way back, and we've done a lot of talking. And uh, it's, it's such a pleasure for me to be here talking to you. Uh, on your show, so thank you. No, for sure. And just so people know, uh, Simon and I go back to the uh, Vuvuzela radio show that Eric Nash was doing a few years back, and Simon was always on the line from uh, California, so that's how we got to know each other. I always appreciated uh, his knowledge. I listened to the podcast that he does, SimonAllenSoccer.com. I'll let, I'll let him plug thank it at you. the end, but uh, but that's my, my plug for, for now. But anyway, on to uh, more important things. Your town, your team, your Philadelphia Union. Uh, a nil-nil, a wonderful nil-nil in uh, <laughs> in Los Angeles the other night. Which, which in any, in most most of the time, if it was a normal scenario, Simon, I guess if you're a Union fan, you think if you go to the West Coast and get a get a shutout, you'd be looking at that as a positive. But the thing is that they don't have any wins this year, right? Well, I mean, listen, uh, strictly speaking, you know, from a from a fan's perspective, this was a really good match for two teams. I, I mean, that are literally struggling. You know, Philadelphia Union. That, that historically have been sort of bottom dwellers, and for the first time in a very long time, probably since 2003 or four, the LA Galaxy. So we were wondering here, you know, Kevin. I mean, I don't know about what was going on over there. Um, is this is this the kind of match that I think would would end up being like a a three three you know match, or, or 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 would it end up being like what it was a zero zero match? Um, and, and quite honestly, it didn't really matter to me the scoreline. I just saw uh, almost two teams that uh, were like two wounded animals playing, and two managers that were like two sort of cornered coyotes trying to get some sort of a result and quite honestly I, I didn't really care about the scoreline I just wanted to see what went down um, and I got what I thought kind of expected it was a zero zero I had, I had actually predicted that um, for some reason or other Gooch would come on and, and score an own goal and LA would win but I, I just that was a bit, a bit too much even for me in my sort of prediction well it was it was funny because I mean everybody was looking at a uh... The Philadelphia Union had a three-game homestand to get their first win, and we're like, you know, if they can't, if they can't break out of the slump here, then what? And I think most people said, oh God, well, we have, they had that Galaxy game coming up on the yeah. horizon. They're definitely not going to win that one, but that wasn't the case. I think people looked at this as them going out there early and clearing their head and maybe getting away from Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and being able to, <laughs> being able to get no, get something. Is that where we are with the Galaxy? Honestly, honestly, I, I, I didn't think about it while I was there, but there were few there were few people there that were saying, well, you know, Philadelphia could win. And I'm like, wait, historically, is that even, can you even think that? And, and But people were thinking it. And the Philadelphia Union sort of came out about 10 minutes earlier than expected in their civilian clothes. And they were on the pitch taking photographs of each other. And I thought, well, that's a new thing for me. I've never seen that at all. And so they were there literally before they could even practice. You know, do you get time on the pitch to practice? They were there very, very early, sort of looking very casual, looking very sort of relaxed. 
And I thought, well, you know, it could be a disappointment here in Los Angeles. But, um, you know, again, the, the, the story here that, Kevin, I want to sort of throw back at you is, like, this is the first time that the Galaxy kind of, or at least the fans, that I think, kind of feel the same way that perhaps the Philadelphia Union fans do. Uh, that is, they don't like what's going on on the pitch. They don't like what's going on in the front office. They don't like the results, and uh, you know, they could be. They really could be some like you know, some kindred spirits here between Galaxy fans and, and the Philadelphia Union fans. Yeah, and it's strange to think because the circumstances are different. You know, the topic out here in Philadelphia. We had Ernie Stewart today. He was available. And I basically said to him, I said, you know, do you, do you, are you reticent of the fact that I, I know that you've only been here for one year, a year and a half now, and, and fans are starting to turn a little bit, but I think that's the product of them watching losing soccer for the six years prior. I mean, you know, so, yeah. and then they're in, they're in year two of a five-year plan. And I don't think the Philadelphia Union expected to be where they are right now, right? They don't have a plan B because they didn't think they were going to be here. Whereas the LA Galaxy are coming off of three titles in the last, uh, going back to 2011, so three in the last six years, and Kurt Analfo is the guy now. So yeah, it's strange that yeah. the fan bases are probably where they are now, but it's it's two completely different circumstances, yeah? But, but the same, I think, is they're both running down the same track. I mean, listen, this is the first time in a long time, well, first time maybe ever, where I've heard Galaxy fans essentially, you know, asking for blood, wanting to get rid of most of the people in the, in the front office, wanting to essentially wipe the slate clean of players and start over again. That's something that we've never heard of here in Los Angeles, especially with the Galaxy. Like, I, it, it was, it was like, it was almost so, it was someone something alien to me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Wipe the slate clean. This is stuff that people in Columbus say, and stuff people in you know other parts of you know MLS land say. Not in not in LA, but that is the sort of uh, you know the the buzz that's going around. And the match, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I was probably the only guy that it really kind of enjoyed it. Because I saw what was lacking in both teams, um, <laughs> and it, it really wasn't the fight. I think Philadelphia Union has that fight. Um, it, it's just something going on that I think between the midfield and and, and and the forwards to where it's just not connecting. And on on the on the LA Galaxy side, there are some people that I think just don't belong on that team. Especially if you look back historically on some of the great players that we had, but. I thought it was a very... I mean, look, I, I want to ask your take on it, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm going to turn the tables. Right. What was your take on the match? I mean, I know it was it was a 0-0 zero, zero sort of sister kisser, but didn't you find it at, at all sort of uh, intriguing? You know, when I went back and I watched the game, I rewatched every game on Monday morning for when I did the tactical analysis and the player grades. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to admit that the night of the game, I mean, it didn't finish until 12.30 our time yeah. out here, you know? So yeah. I fell asleep about like 70 minutes in and I woke up in the 80th minute. <laughs> but really? Really? Yeah, yeah, but that was yeah. mostly because I had three beers and a half a pizza too. But um, oh well, that's, yeah. that's the life of a of a of a of a, of a superstar reporter. I can't <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah, a Philadelphia Union reporter. On, on LA side, what I sort of felt like was that these these players in the midfield um, were the right. The, I mean, the right area of the park is always going to be attacked, and and I think Philadelphia Union did a good job attacking the area of the park where I was just sitting there watching. I thought it was very interesting how far they got. But the right side of the field for the LA Galaxy is sort of abysmal. Uh, I just don't think Yao Pedro or Alessandrini or, you know, anyone even remotely in the defensive half of, of the right-hand side is, is very, very good. So it's, it's sort of a litmus test. And Philadelphia sort of did that, and it took a little bit of, I don't know, maybe Yael Van Damme came in a couple of times and there was some good, you know, sort of goalkeeping um, 
by uh, Brian Rowe. He hasn't, mm. hasn't, hasn't been at fault for too many things this season. But everything else, it was sort of really kind of weak when it came to pa- the, the sort of passing. I'll tell you this. I don't think the LA Galaxy midfield um, wanted to do anything special. The only thing they really wanted yeah. to do was not make any mistakes. Yeah. And it just sort of, that was a darling point of, of the game. And I, and I think if... Philadelphia Union sort of figured that out quick, you know, quickly. They, if they said, oh, these guys just don't want to make a mistake. These guys aren't attacking us. These guys aren't doing anything special. Something could have been done. So I, I was just watching this chess game, thinking to myself, man, if someone figures out what LA Galaxy is not doing, it, it could be a very interesting game. And it, and it kind of was. I, you know, I'm very impressed, by the way, by how, uh, um, how Andre Blake sort of bounced back and had a pretty decent game compared to sort of weeks prior. What do you think? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, he had the big save in the first half when Boateng got through, and then he had another one that wouldn't be credited as a save, but he came off his line to head head clear when somebody else got behind. Um, You know, the the union, I think the game plan was to stay compact, not give a lot up, because when you're playing like shit, I mean, honestly, you know, you go back to basics, right, and you try to defend, keep a clean sheet, and then figure it out from back to front, right? So... They tried to get Fafa Pico, uh, you know, down the down the behind Diallo, you know, uh, on the right side. They tried to do that a couple times early, and then they got away from it. I think they thought that Nathan Smith would be back there, who I think started the game before that. Um, the Galaxy in the midfield, uh, Jao Pedro and Baggio Husidic, that's redundant. They're the same player. Um, Jermaine Jones is the number 10, whatever. He's 35 years old. Um, Gio, yeah. Gio Dos Santos is not a lone striker. You know, I think we all know yeah. that. Um, no, and, and then, you know, school, yeah. yeah, Alessandrini, I mean, a really nice player who I think, honestly, I think Fabinho did a nice job over there, but, um, yeah, LA just, they're not in the right formation. Um, yeah. they have players that are kind of redundant at certain positions. It looked, they looked a lot like the, the team that they were playing, I think on Saturday night. No, actually, I think when it comes to sheer balls, I think the Philadelphia union and, and guys, anyone out there in the Philadelphia union area, listening, prepare for this compliment. It doesn't come around too often from me. I think the Philadelphia Union had a lot, lot more oomph, a lot more balls, a lot more sort of a bottle to their game. I think they could have, you know, if they ratcheted up a little bit and, and got a little bit more muscle out there, they could have done something. I appreciated the fact that they went really hard on, on the LA Galaxy, especially in the midfield. Um, but you're absolutely right. Giovanni Dos Santos um, is, is playing the wrong position. I think... Uh, uh, Baggio, Husidic, and Jermaine Jones together, it's going to be a question mark. I think Boateng running up and down, who is the fastest player, should be there. Remember last week, he was subbed off for some crazy reason. But I honestly also think that the, the, the back line isn't very, very good on the right flank. I think all credit to Ashley Cole, who's, who's sort of given uh, you know, the, the middle finger to all his haters. <laughs> um, but I think the, the defense has, has problems. Uh, I really do not, for the life of me, understand... Yao Pedro, he was great, sort of, in the first, I think, maybe even off-season. When we saw him, I saw him practicing, he gets orders of vim and vigor. Now he just looks like he's phoning it in and, and not really trying his best. So, again, it's, uh, I, I don't want to, I'm not downplaying the Galaxy just to downplay him because Philadelphia, and to make Philadelphia look good. It, there's bad things to be said about both teams. Um, but the LA Galaxy right now, I mean, they're very, very much... In, in for the first time in history, in this sort of very slumpish, sluggish, uh, you know, sort of m- going through the motions kind of stage. 
But I will tell you, Kevin, if I, if I got a, one more thing. I don't actually fully blame Kurt and Alfo for all this, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you this. Kurt and Alfo came into this knowing exactly... I mean, I don't, I don't also... I don't feel sorry for the guy either. He's got a great job. Uh, he came in knowing exactly what, how difficult it was. And it was very difficult because Bruce Shiner took all his... All of his uh, his um, assistant coaches with him, all right. He took all yeah. the top players with him and <laughs> yeah. left him pretty much with a skeleton uh, team, with other people making decisions on who to, who to buy. No one in their right mind would have. I would. I would have. I would sort of predict would, would essentially pick. I hope in the Jermaine Jones to come in there and be like the, the top player there. I mean, no one in their right yeah. mind can think that a 35-year-old player is going to be the talisman player, even though he should be, but he isn't. And mm. then, they, and then after that, you know, when you follow someone like Bruce Arena, you're always going to get a lot. Of, you know, people live a life under the, under a magnifying glass. So it was a triple whammy for this for this guy. And I think it was the wrong move. I don't think he's done too much bad things. I think he's actually dealing with the bad hand he's dealt. He's got. Literally, a, almost like a brand new team, and they're not—they're not really superstars. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'll say this before we move it on. You know, I—I I, I think it's for Los Angeles. If you're a championship team, you know, championship teams reload; they don't rebuild. Right. You know, and maybe it's a changing of the guard philosophically. Maybe you're not going for five million dollar DPS anymore. But you know, right. Alessandrini is one point seven, and Joe Pedro, you're paying him, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody looks at Alabama football and says, well, they're going to be in a re- rebuilding year this year. You know, champions reload, they don't rebuild. Yeah. And if you're going to change the philosophy, then, then don't do it overnight. You know, you have to prepare for that, um, and install that gradually so that when it comes, you're ready for it. So that's, yeah. that's my take on LA. Anyway, I'll say this about the union and, uh, you know, uh, just a little bit of background here. Simon and I have yeah. talked about this, this concept for years. Simon has always kind of been against this idea of uh, young MLS manager on the job training. You you, you use right. the term char- charity managers. Is that your charity <laughs> yeah, okay. you have one. You yeah. have one. Okay, so so you your your view then from afar of, of Jim Curtin and, and what you see here in Philadelphia. about it and I think the Philadelphia Union fans out there have been really kind with me and they've joked alongside with me but I feel that they, Jim Curtin was essentially a guy coaching the youth of somewhere and he got the job essentially he was, you know at best he's a tracksuit manager but he literally is on the job training and at one point you you know I think what was it, a year and a half ago it, it was it was really clear how bad he was and and what happens is you have to ask yourself a very sort of decent question is to say, how long am I going to pay $25 a match to, to fund a manager's on-the-job training? That's it. Simply put. How, and how long can I endure watching a, a team not just lose, but not make playoffs? Now, granted, he's had success, you know, going to the finals and losing and so on. And, you know, and he's had a little bit of, you know, going to playoffs. But, that, but then everyone in Philadelphia would sort of claim that victory to Ernie Stewart. Okay, so at one point, you have a charity manager there. It's a guy who essentially has been given a job because he shot pool with the owner, had a few drinks, and he's, and he's mates with, with you know, the guy who owns it of the club, let's say. And he got a job. But, but historically, those guys really don't do well. Historically, they take at least seven or eight years to come up with anything bright, i.e. shiny, i.e. 
essentially trophies in the cabinet. I was looking for someone for Jason Christ. It took six what six years to get a uh, to get a trophy and pour. You know, uh, it, it, the, the fans of his club was just sitting around waiting for it to happen. Do the Philadelphia Union fans want that? Now, on the flip side, Curtin also did that already. He went. He was a charity manager. He got the gig with DC United, and he failed abysmally. abysmally. I mean, no doubt about it. He probably tell you himself. Then he went on. He became an assistant with arguably the best coach in American soccer history. Learned his trade. Went, got booted down to LA Galaxy two, second division, third division team. Learned more of his trade. He's been given a chance. Now, in the long run, I think that more than likely, Kurt and also, you know, if he goes over, gets over this bump, or at least this huge hump, uh, he might do well. Whereas, whereas Curtin, he's been thrown in, and he literally was the proverbial charity manager. He, he just, it, I don't think it's going to work out. Uh, and, and honestly, if you think about this, you know, even the new LAFC right now, for example, is, is, is counting off names that are... Are very are, are foreign and quite honestly well versed. Like Scalotto is being touted as the next LAFC manager. Well, you know that's not a charity manager, and mm-hmm. that guy might might actually win something if he comes back to Major League Soccer. Um, I, I'm I'm tired of actually talking about um, uh, Jim Kerr because from day one, from the day that he was hired, I said they didn't amount to any trophies, and so far I've been proven right. So. <laughs> Well, you have. Yeah, I mean, you have, and I, I, mean, I, you know, I think the thing, I think the thing with 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 Jim is, is that I think everybody now in Philadelphia has to kind of, you know, we had the thing a couple of weeks ago where I asked him, you know, hey, people in the fan base want to see a coaching change. Your thoughts on that? And he said, yeah, right. you know, I blah blah blah, you know, I understand that, whatever. Uh, nothing's right. happened. Uh, Ernie Stewart's backed him. Uh, you know, Jay Sugarman, for all we know, probably has mm-hmm. has is supporting him as well. So I think Union fans have to look at the situation they're in, which is that they consider internally the front office looks at 2016 as if it was year number one of the franchise, right? So right. so, so what, what is it now going going forward then? I mean, are fans just going to sit here and say, all right, we're, Ernie Stewart's here, Jim Curtin's here, the 4-2-3-1 is here, um, and we're just going to have to sit back and, and ride it out because it doesn't seem like anything that I've heard or anybody that I've talked to or any inside knowledge that I have doesn't really seem to suggest that any that anything's going to change. So I guess it's just on the job training, right? Well, I mean, I think if you come out today and and say no, we're not going to we're not going to do any changes. I mean, didn't he come out on, well, on MLS? He, he uh, said Com and say no, nah, we'll just stick around for a little bit more. We're not going to change anything. I well, mean, he so yeah. I mean, we had we had availability with Ernie right? after but, after training. Well, I'll tell you this. I, I mean, uh, there's, there's fans in the, in the in the Philadelphia area, Philadelphia Union fans. They're diehard, right? So when when uh, Peter Novak was was the manager, you would you would see them and you'd hear them say, "Oh, in, in Novak we trust," and then it was in Hackworth we trust, and now it's in Curtin we trust. So at one point, these uh, these, these fans have to say, "Listen, we've been trusting a lot of managers, and they all look pretty crap." Um, you know, it's time for us not to be so naive and do what Simon said back on the Vuvuzela days. Just actually storm the boardroom and say, listen, we want to change. <laughs> well, listen, we, and they did. And, and this is what... Bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, and being the loser team. This is what we I say... We can't do it. And by the way, the Philadelphia fans are very vocal. They're vocal. They're very forceful. They can get stuff done. They just need to... I mean, they literally built that club, right? I mean, it was because of the fans that, that, that the Philadelphia Union exists. So they have to get their the voices up, and I, I'm not sure how you're going to do that. But there is no 
other thing that can happen with a charity manager other than getting fired, and, and if the, uh, the front office replaces him with another charity manager, then you're sort of repeating you know, history over and over again. You have to demand a little bit more and be a bit more vocal. Um, and that's my advice. I don't want to. I don't want to say any more than that. To be honest with you, I don't want to incite a riot. <laughs> but nothing is going to change. We've seen that, right? I and mean, how many managers have come and gone to where they had a little meeting at the, at the beginning of the season? They handed out beers and scarves, and, and they, everyone sort of hugged each other and said, "Well, yeah, you're fantastic." And then nothing really happened, you know. Isn't there? Isn't there yeah. like a meet and greet coming up soon for the Philadelphia? Well, Union they're fans? having it. They're having a. Uh, yeah, like a little open forum for season ticket holders, and Ernie Stewart's going to be there. I don't think Jay Sugarman's even going to be there, but Tim McDermott, the chief business officer, is going to be there. But you know the thing is, Simon, it's like, I mean, you remember two years ago, the Sons of Ben organized the protest. They put Nick Sakevich's face on the coffin. They marched the, co- the coffin to the to the doors of the arena. There was some uh, you know argument as to whether they should bring it inside or not. And then guess what? A couple months later, Nick Sakevich uh, was gone, you know? And I have I have people all the time who say to me, well, you know, our media is not asking hard enough questions. You know, Kincaid has to say this and Tannenwald has to do this and Zeitlin has to do this. And, you know, I I get that. I understand if people want the media to kind of be the spearhead and kind of broach the subject and kind of, you know, be the be the you know, the 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 tip the tipping point here and maybe maybe get things move things to a certain area. But at the end of the day, they don't give a shit what four reporters have to say, right? They care when a hundred people march a coffin into the stadium and, or refuse to buy hot dogs and popcorn and they stop spending their money and they don't renew their season tickets and stuff like that. So at this point, I understand what people are saying about we, the media, but I think you would probably agree with me that if you want any kind of actionable, you know, results here, then it, 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 it's, it is down to the fans and their organization. Is it not? You know, the funny thing is that I, that I think this is probably true for most most MLS teams, right? You have yeah. 
basically two types of fans. You have your hardcore sons of Ben, die hard, I'm going to be here till the day I die, right? And then the other half of the stadium, well, not the other half of the stadium, the other 80% of the stadium, if we're being honest, is casual, you know, white suburb, at least in Philadelphia, casual white suburban Delaware County families who don't really care if the team wins or loses as long as they can bring their U11 squad to one game a year or something like that. So... So doesn't that when I look at it that way, I say, hey, where where really does the pressure come from? You know, it's not coming from four writers. It's not necessarily even coming from the sons of Ben that aren't even filling up their section right now. But it seems like it has to be somebody. Somebody can't be the media, but it has to. There has to be a rallying point uh, somewhere here where those two different types of fans are brought together, right? Say well, where look, you know there are a lot more casual fans than there are hardcore fans, right? Yeah, yeah. Just by definition, definition alone, I think that would be. You, so you have to rally up those fans as well. You have to sort of say, well, listen, we are this supporters group. We need you because you're. Pay- listen, the supporters groups are paying twenty bucks a ticket to watch a losing team. The casual fans are paying a hundred bucks a ticket, or fifty bucks a ticket, or one hundred fifty bucks a ticket. Yeah. So they got a lot more to gain than the casual, uh, than the than the hardcore fan. So it's up to the hardcore fan to go up to the casual guy and say, "Do you mind joining us? Do you mind? I mean, we're, we're not doing well. We want to be the best team in Philadelphia, if not the best team in the you know in the Eastern Conference, and we need change. Can you su- can you support us in some way? And I think that's that's going to be the thing. And and by the way, if one day a supporters group does bring into its flock. Eighty percent of the casual fans. Then that that's the day where that will be the not only the biggest supporters group in in Major League Soccer, but it will be the most powerful and the most I don't know the guys the, the people that we look to as the as the litmus test for for, for fan for a fan base. But it's up to the union to get those casual fans in there and say, listen, we want to make the team better. We really do want to make we want to see we want to we want to make sure that guys like. CJ Sapong are a household name, not only in Philadelphia, but across America. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't want to be the guys, we don't want to be the Chivas USA uh, of, of Major League Soccer. You see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what the, you know what the funny thing is, is that I think that this, this team, the problem that the union have right now is that they already, they started with a lot of handicaps surrounding them. The stadium's in Chester. Uh, right. This is a football and baseball town. Uh, you know, Philadelphia is very much like Boston, you know, football, baseball, then pretty much everything else. Right. I mean, and, and people will sit here and say, why can't we get soccer talk on the radio? Well, guess what? You don't even get hockey talk or, 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 uh, you know, well, now you get the Sixers talk on the radio, but it didn't used to be that way. But, you know, they're already fighting an uphill battle here and they still are a top media market and a top, you know, metropolitan area. So the only way the only way you're going to move the meter among those casuals anyway is is to go for a seven-figure DP striker or whatever. It's it's not just enough no, to... No, no it, you, you can win. You can win. Well, that's... You yeah, can you win. can win. Yeah, sure. You have to win. And 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 let's... It's not... Listen, getting a DP, that, you know, that's my that's my calling card. Get a designated player. That's, bit, that's what I've been saying for years. That's what I've been saying ever since... I mean, I've been, cost, I've been doing it since 2005. That was before David Beckham showed up. And people were saying, David Beckham's going to suck. He's all, all horrible. We don't need this. We need young players. Even back then, there were idiots, you know, saying that. And when he showed up, 
it's what you know LA won. You know, I mean, not not automatically, not the first year, but won. But but before that, they were still winning without those names, right? LA got still winning with, you know, yeah, you know, I don't know, with 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 the Fuegos, and that wasn't a huge name around the world, right? Yeah, so yeah. so you have to win. Kobe Kobe now, Jones, yeah. Kobe Jones landed. Kobe, you know, Kobe, yeah. Kobe Jones was an American sort of uh, legend in America. Outside hmm. of America, I don't think he might have been the face of American soccer for a little while. Yeah. But, but they were winning before David Beckham. They were winning before Robbie Keane. So when you win, you get people into the stadium. Simply put, it's, it's a simple, it's a simple sort of theory, and it seems to work. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, fifteen years ago, Philadelphia Union were around. They could, if they had a, a couple of decent players, they could probably win MLS Cup. Now, the theory has, has morphed into you have to win to get fans, and the one way of winning is to get some really high-priced, high-profile DPs like a Robbie Keane, like a Landon Donovan, like a you know David Beckham, mix it up with some great players from you know the lower leagues and some college players, some some journeyman American players, which which essentially you have in in, in the Philadelphia right now. And then you'll win. So the only thing really missing the Philadelphia Union right now, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily uh, you know you have a horrible stadium out in the middle of nowhere, you have a bad blah blah blah. blah. It's the fact that number one, you need to win, but really and honestly, you need that one guy, you need that one VP that's going to change everything, yeah. and then you become then you become winners. So that's what the that's what I think the sons of Ben and and again I'm not I'm not doling out advice like this, but the fans out there should be rallying for. We need a DP. We need a we need a Landon Donovan like, a Robbie Keane like DP. Not a DP for a DP sake, but one that's gonna cement this team, regardless of who is the manager, and get us into the into MLS Cup final. Well not this is say, not as, I'm I, say win MLS Cup. Yeah. Just get us to the final. Just do that. Yeah, that'll be a start. Yeah. And that's it. But yeah. and, but that's but, that, but that's been the case for a long time. Remember when um when Raul came to Philadelphia mm. when he was at Schalke remember yeah yeah. that would have been the perfect guy but somehow it didn't work so <laughs> again we'll, we'll, we'll see I mean it is to be shown well I'll tell everyone this and I've told you something a few times soccer isn't stats soccer is history if you know your history you, put, you can talk stop, you know, legitimately on, on this show and my show and, and any other show and the history has shown that we, we, when you bring that one talisman DP player anything could happen and usually it does, and anything usually is an MLS Cup. So we're still waiting in Philadelphia for that talisman DP player, or that talisman DP. I shouldn't say player, player twice, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, uh, let me. I like to keep this thing to around a half hour, so let me, uh, let me throw one more topic at you, okay? And then we'll wrap it up. Um, and and it's you. kind of, kind of goes with what you were saying right there. You know, the union have dedicated themselves to the youth academy, um, right. the school. Really nice setup. Well, hang on. Hey, well, hey, hey, hang on. let me let me just finish here. All right. <laughs> um, you know, they produced Derek Jones, right? A nice story. They finally have the pipeline with Bethlehem Steel. And so they're doing things, quote unquote, the right way. Right. Um, my fear and the fear, I think, of a lot of people uh, in Philadelphia is that the long view uh, approach committed to the academy and doing it, quote unquote, the right way is still never going to be good enough because you look at teams like uh, Seattle. Let's take Seattle, right? You right. bring you bring Jordan Morris through the pipeline, but you also go out and spend a couple million dollars on Nicholas Lodero too. And uh, you know, right. Toronto, 
uh, we'll do the same thing with an Osorio or a Hamilton, whoever comes through their setup, but they'll also pay $7 million to Javinko. So, you know, in modern day MLS, MLS 4.0, I think you would probably agree with this. You have to explore every single avenue of player personnel to be successful. So, in, in a nutshell, you're saying that the academy is good because it fills those spots that are there that need to be filled with players that are kind of cheap and don't take up too much money. For well, listen, the think of it. Think of it this way: uh, 19, 1999 Manchester United. Okay, everybody what? knows David Beckham, Giggs, Skulls, but. What? And the Nevilles, right? Who, else, who, who, who was the best player on that team? Was it Keane? Mm, I think the best player on that was Skulls. Okay, was it was? How about Irwin? How about Dennis Irwin? Dennis was pretty damn good, yeah. Well, yeah. so that's so the point there. I'm saying, and you can look at like Barcelona too for a more modern comparison. Uh, Neymar and Suarez did not come right. through La Masia, but uh, you know Sergio Busquets and Iniesta did. But the point being is that every great team in the world. Uh, you're never going to find, you know, athletic Bill Bow can put 11, you know, Basque players on the field, but they haven't won a championship doing that. You know, I think right. every team that has well, great youth production has to complement it with outsiders. Listen, I'll, listen, I'll tell you this. And, and I'll sort of bring it back to L.A., but the LAFC, LAFC, right? LAFC doesn't have a, has, has, hasn't essentially presented me or anyone else a philosophy. And a lot of clubs in, in Major League Soccer and around America have a philosophy of the youth. Like, we're going to have a great youth academy, and we're going to bring in players from our academy, and we're going to win MLS Cups, all right, let's say. All right, well, we're going to win Cups. You know what? That historically is not true, okay? You know, Jordan Morris didn't win MLS Cup. It was the old CONCACAF defender in the back and the old European uh, goalkeeper that won it. <laughs> no offense. All right. So all the all the talk of bringing these you know these sort of youth players up, it hasn't really worked. What youth players are is essentially a cheap pipeline to fill in the spots that you can't that you because of a salary cap or for whatever reason can't afford to fill with proper players from South America and Europe. Simple. So when you hear an ownership group say, "Yeah, youth players." Don't think that it's some sort of, uh, you know, uh, brilliant sort of notion, this sort of this um, notion to suddenly bring up American superstars. It's, it's essentially an economic decision. Even if you have a, you know, and uh, you've got great examples of Manchester United, 1999, and Barcelona. No one can argue with that. But let's also talk about Arsenal that had that sort of same philosophy of, of young players that they, that, that they try to bring in from the Arsenal Academy and bringing young players from around the world. Young players tend to not win cups, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the reason why Derek Jones is on the bench, right? I mean, yeah. so I think you have to get away from that. Eventually, my thing has always been, Screw that. That's just a bunch of noise. I want to see superstars and official superstars win. Simple. Spend pony up the money, get a proper player, and watch how everyone falls in line. Can, it's, it's just history, you know? Can't argue with that. I cannot <laughs> argue with that at all. Well, uh, listen, Simon, I always uh, always enjoy our conversations, and, uh, and we, should, we, should do it, we should do it more often, you know? Are you taping this? This is on tape, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> All of the, everything was just. On the no, it's it's uh, your your knowledge and insight is always appreciated. And, Thank you. Uh, you know, Thank you've been... Kevin, I want to I want to do this. I know 
I know you've got, we're pressed for time here. Kevin, I really appreciate the work you do, and you're one of the only people that I read everything that you write. I want to tell everyone out there that I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass and, and yeah, I'm really happy to be here and blah, blah, blah. It's the truth because Kevin, and, and, I, and I don't say this often enough about your work, you got major balls when you write, and you're probably... I want to say, well, I'm not going to say, I think you're one of the best writers out there when it comes to soccer in America. I want you to keep doing what you're doing because you're sort of paving the way for a lot of other these sort of so-called writers to grow a pair and actually write about what they see and, and actually write about what, you know, the, what they feel about this game. And you really do a really fantastic job. You're one of the only guys out there to keep doing it. I don't say it often enough, but I'm very proud to know you as a friend. Uh, and honestly, you, you, you are... You are an awesome person when it comes to writing soccer, so keep it up. you got a fan right here. Simon, I appreciate it, man. I really do. Um, All right. Tell everybody again again where they can uh, find your stuff. You can just find my podcast on www.simonallensoccer.com. I've been doing this since 2005, and I appreciate all my emails, and I appreciate all the friends I make. Without soccer, I would have never have got to be friends with with Kevin and so soccer has been my savior and, and also a great you know, a great sort of tool to meet fantastic people around America and when I meet people who email me and, and I talk to people who email me after they listen to my show I, I instantly uh, become friends with them and I, and, I, and I love it and I thank you and, and, and just listen to the show once in a while <laughs> it's always soccer in Philadelphia with special guest Simon Allen this is Kevin signing off thanks again everybody Simon thanks man appreciate it my pleasure anytime